True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. One, one pitch. Fastball pulled and Got a fantasy question? Email fantasy baseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. What's up, guys? This is Fantasy Baseball Today, and we are back. This is Chris Welsh. I am with Scott White, and we are here with you for an early, early, early. really early 2020 mm. positional rank preview episode. And today, we're going to kick it off with the catchers, and I would tell all of you to go and take a look at these great articles that Scott White has put together, because Scott, you have gone out and aggregated essentially the top 20 at each position, and those are going to be great pieces, or you can consider this podcast as a complimentary piece to these articles that you put together in what is truly, truly an absolutely early look to uh, all of this stuff, because it is going to change, but you've already, you know, you're already boots to the ground, and you are rocking with it. It's it's a labor of love. I just, I can't wait to see how things are shaping up for 2020. I have to sit down and figure it out for myself. And uh, the word is deep. I mean, catcher, not so much, but catchers, it's, it's still much deeper than we were talking about last year. It's just like, I think philosophically, yeah, philosophically, catcher is deep, maybe for different reasons than people are thinking. But you're absolutely right. I've been taking part in multiple mocks already. And if anybody is interested, make sure you're locked into uh, my Twitter. And there's a bunch of other good fantasy baseball people within the coming months of, of October because First Pitch Arizona is coming out here. It's a conference that Baseball HQ puts together. The reason it's important to maybe pay attention to is because it's a big collective of fantasy baseball minds that are getting together. I just happen to live out here. Not that I'm invited or anything, Scott. I wasn't invited to the party, but I just like show up. I just appear at the party. I'm like, hey, everybody. But there are a lot of, there's conversation. You're going to get some of the projections tend to drop. Last year, I believe it was, oh, steamer projections dropped like the day of the Fall Stars game and we had got this is where Vladimir Guerrero was projected as a 300 hitter so all I'm getting at is there is early conversation around 2020 that happens and there is a lot more aggregated content though interestingly enough we have got some aggregated content that we are going to add with all of this and add with Scott's take so why don't you give us a quick little primer of the catcher position which we're going to talk about I've got some thoughts on the position as a whole and mm-hmm. again like I said why it's deep but maybe for a different reason we're going to go through, we're going to talk about some of the main guys, and uh, we're going to kind of just get you guys all set, but give us just the quick, you know, two-cent preview of what the catcher position was like as you were building it. I think there's enough 
that's to go around in a typical one catcher league when it wasn't that case you know, last year. Last year it was basically four, and then it didn't matter beyond that. It's the same. It's the same top four now, but there's there's actually good options beyond that. So, one thing I want to set the stage for, and this is something that I've I've essentially used for about the last year and a half, and I will absolutely use it coming into 2020 is the idea that no catcher deserves to be taken in the top 100. Not one. Looking through a couple different formats, whatever site you play on, and obviously, you know, format pending, two catchers, a different conversation. For the most part, only JT Romuto is the player that finished inside the top 100 as far as uh, rank goes. I'm looking over on CBS. He was 64th. Uh, no other guy touched inside the top 100. Same thing goes for a couple other platforms that, and you know, one of them I'm looking at, he barely finishes in the top 100. I view catchers like I would view the tight end position in football, where I will not pay the premium, even though in tight ends, I suppose I would pay a little bit higher. I'm not interested in paying the premium because even this year, the players that we're going to talk about right now, the amount of these guys that weren't even drafted that just jumped on the scene, whether they were free agent pickups whether they were absolute flyers or whether they were rookies, to me is a testament to the position that having a heavy early value on it doesn't make a lot of sense, but maybe you'll be able to change our minds. I am not drafting catchers early unless I'm playing in a two-catcher format. Uh, that's that's an extreme take. I'm not totally uh, against it. I used to be more resistant what to do you drafting hate about catchers it? early. Well, I, I do think it's an oversimplification to say because the pay, player radar, uh, the player radar showed that only X number of catchers finished in the top 100, that none are worth drafting in the top 100. Uh, because, you know, it's it depends on how shallow the format is and how much uh, you know, how the depth is distributed across the position. There's relative value to taking a high end catcher that maybe isn't reflected in in. Something like what you're referring to. Yeah, and I and I, it's a very broad statement. Sure, what you're getting at is if you're playing in a 16 man or you know obviously two catcher, you know some of those things change. But still, even if you take away what what I did and oversimplifying by just looking mm -hmm. at a player raider and saying inside the top 100, which by the way it's a very relative statement. In a mock I did, I took Real Muto who fell in like the eighth round of a 12 team, and I think it was just a, like just inside the top 100. But the other point to it is the amount of on-the-scene players. You go and look at the guys that weren't even drafted this year that we're going to talk yeah. about, guys like Mitch Garver, yeah. guys like Roberto Perez. There is a, there's a churn-out effect that happens at this position that I, can't, I haven't been sold yet on why drafting a guy like Gary Sanchez in 2019 in the third or fourth round was more valuable than waiting at the very end of my drafts and just picking up a Mitch, Gar uh, uh, Mitch Garver or just picking up the hot catcher hand. Yeah, it's it's kind of like uh, running back in the level of attrition there. It's, you know, good, the guys take a beating back there. They need constant days off and a lot of missed time for injuries. And, and you know, they can their careers can go sideways uh, from one year to the next. And they just become not. I mean, it's not quite the volatility of like relief pitcher with it, people moving in and out of the closer role, but it's among the hitter positions. It's. It's the standout there. And yet, like I mentioned at the top, the same top four we were looking at last year, you know, it's the same this year. Same yeah. top four guys, which isn't true at, I think, any other position. What is interesting, too, when you look at the position as a whole, is, and, and this could lead to 
you know, help your argument or if you're even making the argument that maybe there is more value in taking catchers a little bit early is what you go and you look and you say there's not it, there's not the same type of old catcher that we used to have. Guy, a guy like Buster Posey, you know, who would still put up a whole bunch of at-bats, elite batting average. There isn't a catcher that hit for 300 this year. There wasn't a catcher that eclipsed 85 RBIs, but one of the things you can look at is the most volume you could possibly get from the position as far as at bats or opportunity. There were only, let me see if I'm getting this right, nine catchers with 400 plus at bats. And the next guy after that, they started to, well, they started to fall off. There's a few. Gary Sanchez missed some time, but only nine catchers with 400 plus at bats. So opportunity is a yep. little bit less than a 12 man, which leads to your argument. And it takes us to the top guy on Scott White's. Uh, catcher ranks for 2020, whom is Gary Sanchez, even I... over Real Muto. Yeah, and and I had it reversed coming into this year, uh, but on a per game basis, Gary Sanchez was better. He missed time with injury, two separate IL stints, and yet he still set a career high with 34 home runs. Uh, and he had less than 400 at bats, by the way. I just said nine other players had. 400 at bats he had 396 yet he did lead the way with 34 home runs yeah nine more home runs than Riamuto. Uh, he had uh let's see six no i'm sorry he had six fewer rbi 30 fewer runs scored but uh, it was a huge difference in playing time which of course is a point in real mudo's favor but it's mainly because Sanchez went on the IL twice, and I think I'm to the point now where there's enough fallback options at the position that I, I don't want to play the safe route. I would rather go upside if I'm investing in a catcher early, and the upside is clearly with Sanchez. Plus, Real Muto, I had higher hopes for the move from Miami to Philadelphia. It, it was technically a career best season for Real Mudo, but not by the long shot I was hoping. But for. what more did he need to do? I mean, and let's just jump into we can just kind of talk about the first two since you're we don't want to beat around the bush. Romito obviously comes in at number two here for yeah. you on this list. But I go and look as far as stolen bases go. He led all catchers with stolen bases and it wasn't insignificant. It was nine batting average was 275. I told you there was no catcher that batted over um, 300. So he was, you know, near the top of the pack, which was about 40 more points than uh, Gary Sanchez. Gary Sanchez obviously missed a little bit of time and Romito had, I don't know, 140 more at bats. But runs weren't remotely close. Homers were close mm -hmm. enough and there were more RBIs for Romito. I'm just having a hard time gathering like I, I'm not going to argue that Gary Sanchez is the number one guy because I'll tell you I've taken part in a couple mocks. We've had one over at in this league and the two early mocks uh, that Justin Mason's done, and they literally were different. ITL Gary Sanchez was the first ta uh, catcher taken, but in the um, two early mocks that was JT Romuto. But the mm. difference in where they're going is what's crazy to me, and that's what I need to hone down from you as far as if you want to take Gary Sanchez, okay, per game basis a little bit better. Ramudo, maybe not that far off. Maybe if you want batting average and stolen bases, you know, just a little extra here. But how do you approach where you take them? Because in my in this league ones, I am biased to catcher. So they went later. Just our audio listeners tended to take them later. Gary Sanchez went in the eighth round. Ramudo went in the ninth round. But in the two early mocks with a lot more industry people, both of those guys went in the fourth round. I could not pay and will not pay for Sanchez and Ramudo's production in the fourth round. I don't see it. I don't think I can either. I mean, I know both of them went around there last year, but things have changed. I, I think there's a higher priority on high-end pitching for sure, and just 
there's so much depth around the other positions, so much high-end depth, that ca- catchers as a whole are inherently risky. And to me, the only reason Rio Mudo is as high as he is is because, well, it's not the only reason, but it's a big reason, is because he's he's managed to avoid injuries and gets a lot of volume that the other guys don't. But that doesn't mean it's always going to be the case. And, you know, he misses any time with injury and he's the top catcher and you paid a premium for him. Um, obviously it's going to be very disappointing because, you know, the per game production isn't going to be quite the same. But that's what you got. That's literally what you said. What could happen with Romito is what happens with Gary Sanchez. Yeah, it's what has happened with Gary Sanchez. And maybe it'll happen again. Real Muto, I think it's fair to say he's safer just because of the history there. But it's it's kind of the it's kind of the cowardly pick versus you know, the real aiming for the highest impact you can possibly get. And I think it was more justifiable when catcher wasn't as deep as it is now. And interesting, Ramudo um, had first base eligibility in some formats, but he only had two games uh, in 2019 at first base. So not something that he should walk into 2020 with, where you want to talk about injuries, Gary Sanchez theoretically has DH, but the Yankees still have John Carlos Stanton. So, and speaking of injuries, there's still plenty of room or not enough room for uh, Gary Sanchez to do that with. Where do you think these players need to go then? What is the relative range? If, if uh, Sanchez is one, how far off is Romuto from Sanchez and where, what is the round range? So I went through 60 picks when I did uh, kind of my self mock and neither was in the 60 picks. So that was round five through five rounds in a 12 team league. Uh, neither of them was really on the horizon for me. So I, I'm probably closer to you in terms of, you know, maybe like eight round eight, round nine. We'll, okay. we'll see when I get the put the full, my first full two top 50, top 50, top 250 together. But yeah, uh, it, it'll be much lower than we're, we were used to drafting these guys. And people get used to that. I, t- I was the one that took Romito in my ITL mock, and it was the ninth round, if people are yeah. wondering. It was the ninth round, and he was the second catcher taken in that format. A lot of catchers to talk about, but we want to tell you guys about our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, they are the best. They have got a display on their interactive seat map that breaks down the value of each of the seats. They've got green dots, meaning good deals, red dots, meaning overpriced deals, and they fully guarantee every purchase so you can shop for tickets with confidence. And at the end of the day, this is always what we're looking for, whether we're going to sporting events or we're even trying to hit some comedy shows. You want to make sure you've got the best seat for the best price and that you can trust what you've walked into. I've got SeatGeek. I told you guys earlier in the year, I've got some tickets coming up and we got it using SeatGeek out here in Phoenix. SeatGeek right now, though, they want to give you 10 bucks off your first SeatGeek purchase. And all you need to do is use our promo code. Download the SeatGeek app today and use promo code FANTASY for $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code FANTASY. Get 10 bucks off your first purchase. Now, let's move away from that kind of top tier because what we've now done is when we're talking about guys in the 8th to ninth round, we're really moving down the list. But how far are we moving down the list? Because who comes in at number three for you? Wilson Contreras. And you may remember this time a year ago, he was coming off a career worst season. You looked at some of the batted ball data, and it wasn't particularly uh, encouraging. Yeah, it made it seem like, okay, this guy's never hit the ball that hard. He's never elevated it well. How was he so good before? Maybe this past year was uh, 2018, I'm referring to, was was actually the way it should have always gone for Wilson Contreras. But he bounced back in a big way this year. 
and the track record's pretty well established now. Uh, I, I don't have great concerns for him. Finished the year with 24 homers, 64 RBIs, 57 runs, and a 272 mm-hmm. batting average, just a little with, under 350 at-bats. Yeah, he missed some time with an injury and still had those numbers. So it was, you know, that's that's kind of the thing, too, is he and Gary Sanchez both missed time with injury. Um, Real Muto didn't. Number four, I'll go ahead and say number four is Yasmani Grandal. He didn't. A very popular pick, I remember, by the way, what in the preseason was Grandal because if you would pivot off of Sanchez or Amuto and you know you're looking at the other kind of cast of characters, Wilson Contreras seemed to be that that next level and Yasmani Grandal seemed to be the next step guys where people are like, well, I don't want to have to deal with trying to find a catcher and I don't want to be digging at the bottom of the barrel. So I want one of these two guys because I think the expectations were pretty sky high for Grandal and for the most part he had five stolen bases, which was a nice little chip in. 28 homers, 79, run, 79 runs, 77 RBIs with just under a 250 batting average, which all of that is very palatable. And he was one of two catchers that went over 500 at-bats for the year. Yeah, stayed healthy. That's a big part of success at this position. But not just that. I mean, that was really... That ended up being the big impact of him going from the Dodgers to the Brewers. He was kind of like Real Muto and that I, I hoped the venue change. Not that it was as significant as Miami to Philadelphia, but I hoped L.A. to Milwaukee. He would see a big boost in ratios. Uh, but more, it ended up being a big boost in playing time. The Dodgers always had a secondary option that was cutting into his bats, and the Brewers really didn't. He did technically have a career high season too, Grandal, but like he and Real Muto both, it seemed like less a product of changing venues than just, you know, the 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 league wide trend of offense improving. It was just a slight uptick for both of them from their previous career high. So not hugely transformative, those venue changes. And in Grandal's case, he's moving on from the Brewers, presumably. He's a free agent again. Or he will be, assuming his, I think it's a mutual option, which those are never picked up, right? Mutual options, come on. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I expect him to move on or resign. Both players, too, as well, uh, Contreras and Grandal, they they had the the mix here where in my ITL mocks, um, we had Contreras as the fourth catcher taken. Grandal was the third in the too early mock that I was in. That flipped. And if we go look at some of the aggregated data from all of the too early mocks, what I find it interesting is, yeah, Contreras comes in at three, Grandal comes in at four, but their ADP average is about 60 spots different from just Real Muto, who comes in at 83, yet Grandal had a high of 77, so someone still could not help themselves by taking a guy like Grandal in the top 100. Do you see Contreras and Grandal as a like a full 100% value dump off of those players? Let's just, for argument's sake, what I mean by that, is let's say Grandal and Romuto, let's say they average out to 70 on an ADP, just for argument's sake. Do you believe there's a full jump backwards to like 140 where Contreras and Grandal belong? Or do you think they actually might be players that you, you know, you uh, pick a little bit earlier? You get maybe like a little bit post 100 because you want one of the top five catchers. I think it's... You're talking about tiering them, basically, I'm kind, right? Yeah, with, I'm kind of tiering tier these two together a little bit. Contreras and Grandal with Sanchez and Real Muto, or would I tier them separately? I would lean toward with right now. If 
you take a best case scenario for Gary Sanchez, I think it is in a different tier from these other three. I mean, Rio Muto included. Um, but I, I try to aim for bigger tiers if it's justifiable, give myself more wiggle room at a position. And they, you know, Contreras and Grandal were right there with Sanchez and Rio Muto this year, at least on a per game basis. So I think it's close enough. Now, the next two that you've got on here, I'm going to list them for you real quick, and I want to get your takes on them because I know these these two have actually been, I think, a little bit of a struggle for you. I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but they've kind of flip-flop a little bit. You were very pro-Will Smith leading into the back end of the year. He struggled a little yeah. bit, and he has moved from five, which I think is on the article if people are checking out, down to six. And then you've got Mitch Garver, who is six, who has moved up to five. And Mitch yep. Garver has just had, I mean, I, I keep looking back at his season, 31 homers, a 273 batting average, 70 runs, 67 RBIs in only 311 at-bats. And that is too tantalizing to me. Like, that's the type of guy, if I'm getting him post-200, I'm going to be tempted to get a catcher early. But talk to me about Will Smith versus Mitch Garver. Yeah, so Will Smith, I thought, was positioning himself to be like the top catcher in fantasy, maybe down the road uh, with the way he, he kind of came up and, you know, was hitting home runs every other day. It seemed like, and he does have big time power. It's just that the strikeout issues that showed earlier in his minor league career came to manifest, especially in September. And for a while there, he was an automatic out. The strikeout rate ended up being high. I'm, I'm not saying he doesn't have number one at the position type upside, but it does seem like there are more growing pains than I was originally. There's the possibility for more than I was originally giving credit for. Like Mitch Garver has the potential to be really interesting because yeah, in terms of head-to-head points per game, he was number one among catchers by almost half a point. I mean, he was a distant, distant number one over Will Smith, incidentally. Gary Sanchez was third. And he had a, his slugging percentage was 100 points higher than Gary Sanchez, who's, you know, we consider him to be the preeminent power threat at the position. It's just that the Twins never really played him like a number one catcher. I'm not saying they played him like a number two catcher, but it was a, pretty even distribution between him and Jason Castro for a bats with Williams, a studio also stealing at bats from time to time. So Jason Castro is going to be a free agent. Presumably that means Mitch Garver is going to play more, but why, why wasn't that already happening with Jason Castro there? Castro really shouldn't have been that kind of threat to his playing time. So I do have a concern. They're going to bring in somebody and it's going to be, a tandem thing going on again. But if not, I mean, Garver deserves to be in that top tier. Yeah, I think the thing that can be dangerous, maybe about both of these players, but more specifically Garver, is um, kind of like what you're alluding to. If people start getting into the like over-projections, they're like, well, he only had 300. Look what happens when he gets 500, like Grandall. We're going to have 40-plus homers. And getting into that could be a little bit dangerous to everything that you're just saying. They may not want him to be in that spot. They may want to cap him at 350. We'll probably have to see some off-season words on it. As well, interestingly, the two mocks that I took part in, he was the fifth catcher, Will Smith was, I'm sorry, was the fifth catcher, yet on the aggregated stuff for the two early mocks, Mitch Garver comes in as the number five, and Will Smith comes in at the number six catcher. I I want to clarify, by the way, because you keep referring to the two early mocks. That's T-O-O, 
early mocks. It kind of sounds like you're talking about two mocks that happened early. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's the too early well, mock. Because it's the hashtag. It's hashtag the number two early mock. It's a hashtag. Oh, so they're even kind of playing off of that. It is. It's hashtag but it was two six. early mocks. It yeah. was six drafts that took part in the two early mocks. It is. And I should have clarified. That's my bad. <laughs> yeah, Justin, <laughs> Justin Mason does a good job with uh, the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational. This is kind of in conjunction where they do six drafts and then they aggregate content and they're use the hashtag to the number two early mocks. And that's some of the content that we're looking at. And it's all industry people that are kind of taking part in it. Now, before we uh, take a quick break again, number seven is super fascinating to me. And I like, of course, I like this one. But Carson Kelly comes in at number seven for you. In my uh, ITL, he was the 10th catcher taken in the 22nd round. He was the 14th catcher taken in the too early mock that I took part in in the 25th round. And on the aggregated stuff, it looks like he comes in at number eight. So talk to me about your confidence with Carson Kelly. Yeah, and he he kind of faded down the stretch after I wrote this article. So his batting average ended up at 245. But I think the batted ball profile is more exciting than that. And he showed more power than I think anybody expected in his first full major league season. You know, he was blocked by Yadier Molina with the Cardinals. Was a good prospect there, but they ended up moving him in the Paul uh, Goldschmidt deal. And Kelly finally did get his chance as the Diamondbacks' primary catcher. Good strikeout rate, good walk rate, uh, you know, good in terms of line drive, fly ball distribution, hits the ball really hard. You look at his batting average versus his XBA, uh, they were similar. But, you know, it's it's definitely a diverse enough offensive profile in terms of getting on base and showing power. It reminds me a lot of Yasmani Grandal. Uh, Alex Avila's leaving this offseason, so I don't think playing time's going to be much of a concern there. It just seems like, you know, even if you're not factoring in more upside, which I do think Kelly has, this he just seems like the obvious guy to take here. This catcher episode also is brought to you by our friends over at ButcherBox, butcherbox.com slash FBT. When it comes to meat, quality matters, but there's more to it than texture and taste. We're looking for high quality, humanely raised meat. It's better for you, better for the animal, and better for the environment. Not everyone has convenient access to high quality meat, by the way. It can be hard to find 100% grass-fed finished beef, free-range organic chicken, or wild-caught salmon at the grocery store. It can be expensive. The options can be limited. So what are you going to do? Well, luckily, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves high-quality, humanely sourced meat. ButcherBox comes straight to your door so you don't have to go anywhere, which is fantastic. Every month, they're going to ship a curated selection of high-quality meat right to your home. All the meat is free of antibiotics and added hormones. Each box has 9 to 11 pounds of meat, enough for 24 individual meals. And right now, ButcherBox is offering new members ground beef for life. That's two pounds of ground beef in every box for the life of their subscription, plus $20 off their first box. Just go to ButcherBox.com FBT or enter promo code FBT at checkout. That's ButcherBox.com FBT or enter that promo code FBT at checkout. Now, number eight and nine. I want to get through because it's interesting because number eight on your list, we didn't have this year. And number nine had a really, um, a really, really positive season. And I think might be a little bit higher on some lists for some people. But talk to me about eight and nine on your catcher list. Eight is Salvador Perez, who's going to be back in the mix, presumably after a year lost to Tommy John's surgery. I'm not super excited about him, but he was always a bankable option in, you know, the top seven, eight at the position. 
lock for 20 homers, got some of the most consistent playing time at the position. I do wonder now that Ned Yost isn't there, and of course the fact Perez will be coming back from Tommy John surgery if he's going to be, if the playing time is going to be quite as bankable as it was before. But nonetheless, I think to me he's the last of the catchers with, uh, I wouldn't say high end potential. There are some lower ones that do, but you know, that are kind of mostly proven and have high-end potential. So does this, does Salvador Perez at eight kind of in the draftable tier, if you will, where, you know, you make sure you draft these guys after this. This is kind of like pick of the litter towards, you know, the yeah. back end. Right. I I would not pay, I wouldn't really pay a premium for anyone after Salvador Perez. It's kind of just settling for the best that you happen to get for, you know, a reasonable value, a value that seems appropriate, but not not somebody that you're really targeting consciously. And Wilson Ramos at nine is the top of the of the I'm not going to pay a premium tier for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's a good source of batting average, low strikeouts, a lot of ground balls, which is a bad thing, except when you're talking about batting average. Um, But. I do think it limits his overall upside. The power is not really going to compare to any of the top eight. He's going to be 32 next year, Mm. which is pretty old for a catcher. I'm not sure how it's going to affect his playing time. And I just think it's, it's, he's in a position, obviously there's a bit of an injury history there where he could just, he could just fade, um, from being a useful, reliable option any given year now. Uh, yeah, and I think we're in, and he comes in at number seven, by the way, on the too early aggregated stuff above Carson Kelly, and he's one of those guys that feels risky to me. Like any, like you, well, like you said, paying for any of these guys, I would. Eat, I mean, me personally, I'd even throw in guys like Al, uh, Salvador Perez. Paying the prices, I feel like I could get caught, and but Wilson Ramos specifically would be a player that I just would have very little interest in because it, it feels like you're paying for 2019 with little trust in 2020. Give me 10 through, let's go 10 through 15. List off the players and then give me any specific takes that are important on 10 through 15 at catcher. Okay, so there are two names that excite me here. Let's see if you can pick out the two that are actually exciting. I think I have them, but list them. Okay. Number 10 is Christian Vasquez. Number 11, Omar Narvaez. Number 12, Yadier Molina. 13, Sean Murphy. 14, Francisco Mejia, and 15 is James McCann. I have got this locked up. Number one, Omar Narvaez. It is not him. Dang it! All right, hold on, (laughs) hold on. Number two, or number one, technically, Francisco Mejia. Yes, he is one of the two. Uh, Okay, so the, the other one has to be, let me go back and look, because it has to be Sean Murphy. Yeah, it is. Okay. Yeah, you the, went the, with, the I two wasn't... young guys who haven't really gotten a full-time chance. Yeah. Those are the ones that excited I wasn't sure if I was going to go both young guys. I thought Narvaez might be the guy. But okay, I'm with you. Sean, Mur- Sean Murphy, I'm very interested in. And I've taken, I took Mejia in an early mock as well, just because the, up, the upside is exciting on both. Yeah, and I, I ranked Mejia even higher than this going into this year. And obviously that didn't work out. They were still pretty stuck on Austin Hedges. But in the middle of this year, they got away from that, and and Mejia thrived. It, it just so happens he got hurt and uh, missed much of the end of the season, so we didn't get to see that fully come to fruition where he is now the Padres' starting catcher. But it was such a bad year for Hedges. I think I think they got to make that switch next year. I think they have to. 
Yeah, he has so much more upside. It defensively has been his big problem. You know, I've tracked him for a couple of years and seen him across, and you know, there were the I think it was the Indians that were attempting to play him at third base in the AFL. That didn't really work. Mm. You know, he's tried in the outfield. You know, he's a serviceable catcher. I remember I was at spring training last year, and it was Mejia and Hedges working exclusively together, and Mejia was almost shadowing Hedges throughout because you you have really good access at the Peoria Sports Complex for the Padres. And you can really get like up close to what they're doing. And he was really mirroring him. So I'm with you. I think it's it's all going to be uh, defensive trustability with Mejia. And yeah. I, I'm still not sure he's there. So I'm kind of a little timid about being super excited about major playing time. But I get the excitement overall. Well, and, and I was kind of following the Padres lead there. So it was basically June, mid-June through late August. And it was a 51-game stretch where Mejia was playing about two-thirds of the time, and Hedges was, you know, starting the other games. Mejia hit 298 with an 857 OPS during those 51 games. He did come back to make four starts in September after missing time with injury, but you know, by then it was really too late for him to gain a foothold. Let's go 16 to 20. Finish this bad boy off. This is digging real deep. I mean, there are going to be some people playing 16-team leagues. And I suppose if you're in a two-catcher league, the value changes completely, but you might be fishing from this pool. So 16 to 20. 16, I have Travis Darno for now. Let's see where he lands and what kind of role he lands in. 17 is Tom Murphy. That's an interesting one. 18, how about this name? Buster Posey. Mm, heard of him. Yeah. Number 19 is Kurt Suzuki. I have a feeling he will end up finishing higher than 19th, but he's 19th going in. And 20 is Roberto Perez. Anybody, you said Tom Murphy's kind of the excitement here. I mean, is Tom Murphy about the only guy that gets you get you going here? I, I I think so. I mean, and obviously he's he's supposed to be in Seattle still. Narvaez and he both are under contract with the Mariners still. I guess there's a possibility they move one this offseason, though I'm not counting on it. Uh, Murphy was the masher we long to- hoped he would be if he ever got the chance with the Rockies. They just sat on him at AAA year after year, and he put up massive power numbers down there, finally gets his chance with the Mariners and delivers on the power. It's just he only did it against left-handed pitchers. Narvaez was a good hitter in his own right, and he's a left-handed hitter, so it made sense. I just wonder if if Murphy shows any kind of signs of figuring things out against right-handers early next season or if Narvaez slumps early on, could he become the straight full-timer there for the Mariners and have you know, kind of a Mitch Garver level breakthrough. I think it's possible. There's also three names that are going to pop up for people. They popped up on this aggregated data that too early did. You have Danny Jansen, who came in as their ninth catcher taken. You had Jorge Alfaro, who was the 12th catcher taken. And then someone, yeah. And someone who had a a pretty decent season overall, at least from a rank perspective was Travis Darno. Uh, decent, you know, in quotes here, 251, 16 homers, but did have 69 RBIs and 52 runs. So those are three other catchers. They didn't show up on your top 20. Specifically, Jansen and Alfaro show up relatively higher as far as drafters still go, though. But no interest for you. I, I wouldn't say no interest. I mean, I considered both of them, Jansen and and uh, um, and the Marlins. What's the Marlins guy again? Sorry. Or hey, Alfaro. Alfaro, yes. Yeah. Alfaro makes more sense if you're talking strictly a five-by-five five league, which is what those early mocks are. I'm kind of, you know, to avoid coming up with two separate <laughs> ranking lists and explanations, I kind of 
straddling the fence between them and points leagues. And yeah, Jorge Alfaro's play discipline is so bad, it drags him down in points leagues. So that's part of it. And uh, in the case of Jansen, I just I don't see it. I don't see the reason to give him that kind of benefit of the doubt. Ah, it was people just such a disappointment season. People, I I I was never a big. Uh, I've never been a big Danny Jansen guy. But people just just unapologetically love Danny Jansen in the minors because of the you know the high on base skills. He was walking a whole bunch. He was hitting for some power, and everybody projected it out. I've never been a big fan, but people there are still plenty of people that believe in that. I don't think yeah. he deserves to go top ten because of that belief. After what I would say is a relatively, I I think using the word horrid is a is a okay term for you know hitting sub two ten in your first season with three hundred and fifty at bats wasn't a good year. How he is going in the top. 10 of catchers is mind boggling to me. 10 does. I could see as high as 15 for him. If you just want to take a chance Maybe. on upside on him, having a breakthrough without showing many signs of it the year before. Cause it certainly happens like James McCann, who I have 15th. I don't really believe in him. I think there's a good chance he gets bumped by Zach Collins early next year. Uh, Travis Darno, he might not have a full-time job next year. Buster Posey, I really don't know what to make of him anymore. Well, Joey Bart coming out. I mean, I've got, yeah. I list out uh, my top 500 prospect list I do, which is the insane list that I always love seeing Scott's eyes when I say it. But I also have them positionally ranked out. And, you know, there's some names to consider that might get some playing time this coming year. Joey Bart could be one of those. I mean, you could put, you could have a Joey Bart slash Buster Posey combo going on. And I, I don't think it would be an absolute shock to anybody. But that's a whole bunch of different speculation across the board. And those are the very, 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 very early 2020 ranks from your boy Scott White. You can find the article. Uh, just do a quick search over at CBS, or you can go and check out Scott's Twitter handle, at CBS Scott White. Next up on the docket, the Thursday show, if you're listening in a timely fashion, we've got first base ranks. So that should be a good conversation. Lots of fun names. And that is going to be the next one. Follow us throughout the rest of the month here in October, or if you're listening into the future, keep on click and play through because we are going to be going through each position as we get some top 20 early ranks at most of them. I think outfielders, didn't you say outfielders were going to go to 30 or something like that? They're going to 30. Starting pitchers are going to 40. Hmm. Yeah, those are big positions. It's hard to it's hard to cut it off just at 20. Exactly. Well, it's very, very early, and it's uh, just kind of getting your guys, your mind in the right place as you're coming off of all the heels of the regular season, still enjoying some postseason baseball. This is it, though. We'll be back with you again on Thursday for first base, so don't you go anywhere. More coming up right here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Mm-hmm.